0: Jerusalem was a crush on that day, even more than Bratfest. Like, I mean, shoulder to shoulder, especially especially in the temple area. Like they had come from all over. The noise of animals, different languages being spoken, like from all over the empire. They were there in Jerusalem, making their way to the temple. Passover is bittersweet. It's sweet because you know it's a week of festival. It's it's a celebration, but it's a celebration of liberation. Like how do you celebrate freedom from the Empire of Egypt when you're under the thumb of the Empire of Rome? You're, you're locked into this historic event and like there's just lots of great things to celebrate and at the same time you're looking around thinking for 400 or more years like we've been under someone's thumb and yet we're celebrating Passover. Like what's this about? Um, and then word ripples through the Temple Mount. Uh, he's coming with his entourage. You gotta go see it. And there is a press of people rushing out the western gate. And there is sort of in the distance this glint of the golden Roman eagle and the cavalry, cavalry, and the man himself, Pontius Pilate coming in on Passover to the temple. And for good reason. Like 30 years prior, uh, a bunch of Jewish revolutionaries took up stones and they killed a company of Roman soldiers. And Rome's response was quick and brutal. 3,000 dead bodies in the temple courtyard. Like Passover was shut down. Like it rarely happens. That year, they had to shut down Passover because of the uprising. So of course, you know, you got Pontius Pilate coming in. He's coming from the northwest, from the Caesarea Maritima, where they had relocated the provincial capital. But he was coming in with his show of force, into Jerusalem, up to the temple, as a deterrent. Like, remember who's in charge here. All the swords, all the horses, a few chariots. And then something's happening, like people start to leech away from this parade. Pilate asks the commander, what's going on? Where are they going? He just shrugs. People are going out of the western gate now through the temple and out the east. There's another parade coming from the east. This is the guy that the rumors have been spread. Raised someone from the dead just a few days ago not far from here. And and we've heard of this guy. And so people in, from all the language groups who've come in for Passover are like, really? a rabbi who's raised people from the dead. Yeah, he's also healed lots of people. Could this be, like, I don't know. It's just curiosity seekers and true worshipers, they're all flooding now from Pilate's parade and going to um, see this rabbi and his entourage coming from the east, like, is this. Is there going to be some kind of clash? We've got Pilate's Parade coming from the north and west, and we've got the Rabbi's Parade coming from the south and the east. There's going to be some confrontation, I'm sure of it, in the temple, like like the prophecies have said. And so uh, you get out there to that easternmost parade, and you hear this cry, Hosanna, Hosanna! You know, you know it's a praise, but you also know it literally means liberate us now. This, these are fighting words. Oh my goodness, this is going to be bad. You know, those for whom uh, that memory thirty years ago of the brutal crackdown are like, let's just be quiet. And even the Pharisees and teachers are like, Jesus, you got to calm this crowd down. They can't be shouting these things. These are fighting words. Jesus is like, hey, look, if no one says anything, the stones, that the earth is still going to cry out, Hosanna, liberate us. And so they're, they're saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. You know, uh, s- signal uh, language. You know, this is a hint. And then that's from Psalm 18 that they a lot of them have memorized. And they add this thing that's not in Psalm 118. Uh, Blessed is the king of Israel. Okay, that's a step too far. Rome has its puppet king in the Herodian family. Like, they control the Herods. And that's the king that we want you to bow to because that king will keep you under control. Anytime there's been any kind of revolutionary leader, it has not gone well. Liberate us now, king of Israel. Pilate is just down the road. My goodness, what are you doing? And then things get really bad. Some people start laying their coats down on the road for this rabbi, this revolutionary rabbi and that was just like the scroll of the kings remember Jehu so Elisha taps one of his uh, prophet lackeys on the shoulder says I want you to take this oil I want you to go anoint Jehu as king guy goes off pulls Jehu aside his commander and uh, you're the king pours oil over him his friends are like, What's going on? This guy just said, I'm king. Then everyone starts laying their coats in front of Jehu. Like, this is total, uh, you know, theater. Here's the king. And then some have the audacity to start waving palm branches. And we know what that's code for because uh, Judas the hammer, that's what Maccabeus means, Judas Maccabeus, a couple hundred years before like for a short period of time, this guy managed with violence to create the free Jewish state. Came in, palm branches waving, this guy casts out the oppressor, and we've got for a short period the state of Israel. And the palm tree became the symbol like Judas Maccabeus, Judas the hammerhead, had coins minted with a palm tree. This is their flag. If there is any sort of incitement for a free Jewish state, it's the palm branches. It's these people shouting, here comes a king, liberate us now. And these two parades on a collision course. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Like, let's get this thing under control. And as the teacher approaches, he just starts crying. Like, is he excited? Is he happy? And it's clear he's not. He's really, really sad. Someone said he's saying something about Jerusalem. If you'd only known what made for peace, Jerusalem, city of peace, it's been anything but the Jerusalem for centuries. If only you'd known what has make for peace and recognized the the time of God. He's disturbed as he's looking up at the city. So the, the group is drawing closer and closer. The nearest gate for them coming down the Mount of Olives is the sheep gate. He's going into the sheep gate. And there is a press of sheep. It's called the Sheep Gate because the, the livestock often came from nearby Bethlehem. That's where the shepherds brought the lambs to be sacrificed on the Passover. Here is the uh, herd of sacrificial lambs. And there's the rabbi in the midst of them. From Bethlehem, the lambs are coming through the Sheep Gate Some old, old shepherd is looking rather queerly at this guy, wondering if it might be the same, same human born all that time ago, that angelic visitation. He'd be about that age. Here he is, as the shepherd's leading his sheep, as he's done for 30 or 40 years, the lambs to be sacrificed on passover and in the middle of them on this donkey is this rabbi well those who were maybe looking forward to a confrontation are disappointed those who were hoping it didn't come to that because they know you know like the african proverb when the elephants fight the grass gets trampled is the little guy that ends up in the pinchers of the vice and so Uh, Jesus comes in, it's kind of late, looks around, seems a little disturbed, and then leaves. bit anticlimactic. Yeah, Uh, Pilate and his forces were not uh, urged to stamp out this revolution coming from these folk who are hailing this king of Israel that is not Herod, not born of the Herodian clan, And things clear out. It's another Passover, first day of Passover. That's when they bring the lambs in. It's when the lambs of Bethlehem come for the Passover celebration to be selected by the families. The day ends and nothing happens. Okay, maybe the next day. Here he comes. They say he's going to stay with those sisters and that guy, the brother that they claim was raised from the dead, spends the night there, comes back the next day, and crowds are gathering, like, what's he going to say? He's not talking. He sits down, and he starts weaving these reeds together from the stalls. He's pulling these reeds out and braiding them, okay, we're kind of used to Jesus being theatric, so we're wondering what's coming. Like he, it, he's making this long, long, woven reed thing, not saying anything. Suddenly he gets up, he starts flipping latches from the pens, opening the doors, and shooing the lambs and the cattle out, hand ammonium. I mean, utter pandemonium. People are screaming, and these herds begin rushing out. Uh, Jesus, I don't know if he's liberating people, but he's sure liberating animals that are about to get slaughtered, opening up cages. You know, the poor people need the the birds, the pigeons and doves and stuff. They're flying all over the place, and the the owners are chasing, the, trying to gather these up, they're just all fleeing out the gate. And it is craziness. I don't know what Jesus thinks he's doing, but he's just creating a mess on the second day of Passover as craziness breaks out in the temple and people are shouting. Now he's going over to the place, to to the bank section. Like people from all over the world come, whether they're Jews or not, to change money because this is where all the money goes, into the temple. You can find the currency used in this place, and they will take your currency from far away and change it. And Jesus starts tossing these tables over, and the coins are scattering, and people are diving for the money, and the noise is hellacious and where are the temple guards? Cause like this is not good. And so chasing these money changers and animals out and saying something about you've turned this court of the Gentiles into a merchandise Mart. Like you've turned it into a mall. This is where the Gentiles come. He's chasing all this out. You know, it finally, the dust settles. Literally, and now from the beautiful gate where the beggars go, they start coming. In. The lame and the blind who sit begging at the beautiful gate, they come in. It's open now. The court of the Gentiles is open for those who don't merit uh, the the title of cleanliness. <laughs> They can come into this part. Jesus starts healing them, making them clean. They can now go into some of the other places. He clears out this place with his handmade set of reeds, chasing these animals out, throwing over these tables, and now the blind and the lame come, and he heals them. Maybe it wasn't the Romans Jesus is liberating us from. Maybe it's the uh, religious elite. Everyone knows that this is where the high priestly families make their cash. I mean, they make bank here. This is their territory. This is highly lucratively profitable for the high priestly families. There's that one family up the road, uh, the wife of the former high priest, has a carpet that she rolls out from her house to the temple gate so that she doesn't have to touch dirt as she walks to the temple. I mean, that kind of class, that kind of elitism. Maybe it is a lifted liberation fist to the folk who make all sorts of money. On those who are poor, they can only afford doves. And even the dove sellers are like gouging the poor with their prices. Here's Jesus clearing this place out and all the unlikelies, all the impure come in, and Jesus just starts declaring purity over them and healing them, restoring this court for its intended purpose, for the outsider to get a glimpse of God, for the non Jew, the Greek, the pork eating barbarian to come close to the temple. And so all week, all Passover, he's coming and going. And crowds are getting more and more excited. And the religious elite are getting more and more irritated. And you hear, some of them are scheming, like they want to take this guy out. He's drawing all attention away from them. He's upset their mall. He's teaching things that just seem a little off. we got to take him out. And yet every day, he manages to come. None of the guards arrest him. And he does this sort of teaching thing. And then there's Thursday. End of the day, he and his disciples uh, take up in the... upper room. And Jesus like the prophets of old is always a little theatric. Like th- he teaches through theater. And he does this thing where he takes off his outer garment and he's washing people's feet. Like what in the world is this uh demonstration, you know, like Isaiah and the great prophets who always did these things, like they it wasn't just their words. Like they they prophesied through their actions. He's talking about like a new command. Like we know all the commands. You don't know this one. Love one another. Love one another exactly like I've just loved you here. That's your new command. You know, love God, you know, love neighbor, you know, honor your parents, you know, do not commit. Blah, blah, blah. This is a new one. Love one another. That's my command for you. Disciples' heads are reeling. It's been a fascinating Passover meal. He said so many strange things at that meal. Didn't he kind of went off script a little bit for the Seder. And like, what in the world is he talking about? Then he says something really strange. Here's the I, you think? I think he's the Prince of Peace, and he's like, "Remember when I sent you out? Yeah, we remember. What'd you take? He told us to take nothing. Well, what'd you end up needing? You ended up needing nothing. Now I want you to take stuff. And if you've got a cloak, sell it and get swords. Whoa, what? Love enemies? You tell us to buy swords? There are two here, like ludicrous, that if there is going to be any sort of insurrection, that two swords, were going to do something. Uh, I said this because there's this prophecy. He'll be numbered amongst the transgressors, amongst the, the rebels. He will be an outlaw, what the prophecy says. That's why I need you to bring those two swords. Uh, okay, Whatever. Let's go pray. They go to their old campsite. They're, they go to the uh, Mount of Olives and to this garden, Gethsemane. Gethsemane it means olive press, like this ancient place where the beautiful, tender olive is absolutely crushed and mutilated between these massive stones in order to release this oil that can be used for perfume it can be used to heal it can be used to light it can be used to heat through this really really violent process of crushing let's go to gethsemane they knew gethsemane they went there that's where they camped whenever they came through this area they were used to this place it's the place they knew where's judas he's always late i don't know he's probably getting stuff ready for the next thing for Tomorrow. Let's he'll find us because he knows we hang out in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. Like it's the it's our campsite. They go out there and the mood turns really quickly and really sour. And Jesus is like, I am so depressed. And the the term he used something like sorrowful unto death that sad really really sad depressed it puts a funk over all the disciples they get super sad you know you got the wine you got a little touch of depression first thing you want to do is sleep so you gotta watch and pray peter james john his buddies, closest buddies, come with me. Let's go over here. We're going to pray. You guys watch and pray. Peter brings the sword. Okay, I'm on night watch. Something's going to happen. But that lovely wine from the Seder and that deep sadness, and Jesus is over there just sobbing. Just sobbing. God, no. If there's some other way, please, please, Daddy, please. And your heart's just breaking for this guy that you love, and he's always been so straight up and powerful. And you're remembering the prophecies: a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And that's it. That's he's so acquainted with grief right now. And it, you just—it just is so horrific. It, is, it, it makes you sleepy, just that sadness. It's the wine from the Seder. And all of a sudden, Jesus is nudging you, and you're opening your eyes, and you see the torches. It's time they're here. Peter's like, get the sword. This is it. The crowd comes up, oh, my lord, they got weapons, they've got swords, they've got clubs. This is an army practically. And there are the high priestly families, the leaders of those families with guards, with clubs, with swords and Judas, there's where he went. And Judas comes up And these guys, these burly guys are next to him, and he kisses Jesus. And as soon as he does, these guys grab each arm, practically lift Jesus up off the ground. And you realize something's going down that's not right. Judas has just led, like they didn't come during the day when Jesus was teaching. They have snuck out here at night so as not to cause a ruckus and they're gonna take him out. So Peter's like, you know, he's the one who said, even if I have to die for you, I will follow you. Now is the moment to prove my loyalty. Where is that sword? And of course, the high priestly leaders aren't on the front line. It's the servants they put as the shield in front of them. Like many military operations, it's not the rich and famous who are the infantry. It's the little guy. Whoops! There goes his ear. Uh, Peter's a bad shot. He was going for the head. He just got the guy's ear. I mean, the guy's a fisherman, not a warrior. And Jesus rebukes him. He's still being held up by these guys on either side. Enough! Put it away. Those who use the sword are going to die by it. That's not you. That's not us. This isn't how we do things. Jesus reaches out and like cauterizes this guy's ear, completely heals it. I don't know where the ear went, but it's there back on his head. Here in our attempts to defend, like if ever there were a, Just war, defending the innocent Lamb of God would be it, and yet Jesus is like, enough of this. Years and years later, this Christian writer named Tertullian said, when Jesus disarmed Peter, he disarmed every soldier. So in those days before the church wed itself to empire, they got in big trouble for saying no be part of the empire's army. Jesus said those things like what if he meant that stuff? So this kid's ear gets healed, prophecies fulfilled, he's numbered with the rebels, with the outlaws, with the transgressors. The saddest part of that garden, Garden of Gethsemane, the garden of the Crushed olive is not so much that Jesus was betrayed by a good, good friend. I mean, Judas saw it firsthand. In fact, when he was sent out, I don't remember who he was sent out with, you know, probably uh, Simon the Zealot. I don't know. He saw people healed. Like he preached the gospel with the twelve, with the seventy-two, and yet snuck out and brought this force to capture Jesus. The saddest part of the garden is not that. The saddest part is in once Jesus said, enough, Peter, put that away. They all abandoned him like they deserted him. And he watched as those guards lifted him up and pulled him away. He saw his closest friends, even the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and they hid and fled. I don't know which of us wouldn't. You know you're next on the hit list if you're that close to Jesus. But to watch them abandon him, wonder if it reminded jesus of another garden of abandonment the first garden if the holy scriptures are to believe, be believed and jesus said or yahweh said or jehovah said let's make the human species in our image the plural Jesus was there at creation, making the human being in the garden. That was another garden of betrayal and abandonment, just like Gethsemane. Maybe the next garden, the garden of the future, was set before him, allowing him to endure what was coming a garden yet to come an urban garden the new jerusalem renewed heavens renewed earth violence and betrayal and abandonment would not mark this garden like it had the others jesus being interviewed by pilate on friday and He's like, if I wanted to, I could call legions of angels. If, if my kingdom were like yours, we would use violence. My kingdom is not like yours. Otherwise, my, my servants would be fighting. It's not that kind of kingdom. Jesus is looking ahead to the garden in the new Jerusalem, kingdom not of this world. His servants and legions of angels would have come with violence if it were anything like the world that we live in, the world that Pilate lived in. In this, there'd be this tree, uh, tree of life, kind of a recreation of Eden, that garden. And this tree, amazing, every month new, different fruit, like one month, it's like this apple sort of thing, just delicious and juicy and sweet. And the next month, like these berries, same tree. Last month, it was apples. This month, it's berries. You know, if you crush these berries and make a drink, ferment it, does not make you drunk, just gives you this very beautiful warmth inside. Next month, there's this. Fruit with a hard exterior, you got to crack it open. Like, what a bizarre and beautiful tree of life. And the leaves, like, when you take the leaves, it's like this ointment, all that bitterness, all that hatred. You know, the, the Russians and Ukrainians have these leaves, and it heals the, the violences. And the accusations, all that stuff. The Greeks and the Jews, like the leaves, are for the healing of the nations. They're still nations, because the kings of the nations bring the glory of the nations into this. You know, there's some great leader from Thailand bringing Pad Thai into this new place. It's the glory of that nation. Uh, Some German guys bringing this amazingly engineered thing, totally uh, solar-powered, into the new Jerusalem, like the glories of the earth. The kings are bringing the glories into this new Jerusalem where this urban garden with the stream running through it, that's the garden. The only use for weapons in this garden is the metal that they were made with melt it down because those would be great metals for spades and for garden tools that's the only use the nations spending trillions on weapons whole economies changed because you no longer need these things they can be melted down these things that were designed specifically to take the light of God out of people, that's their sole purpose, is to take the light of God out of people, are now being melted down. And they're turned into things that cultivate life, that bring life. The very thing designed to take life is now being used as a tool to create life. What a beautiful paradox in this new garden. That's the joy set before Jesus in this awful, awful weekend, the end of Passover, thinking about that garden yet to come. That's all he taught about when he was with them, and even after his resurrection, he taught 40 days about that that kingdom, like this is what I want you to make. It's here, and it's yet to come. Like, make it like that garden. Make this place like that garden. In the way that Yahweh sent me into this place, now I'm sending you. You see what I did? Do it. See how I brought shalom and signs of the kingdom. Your turn. There's this uh, prophecy about the the next triumphal entry. It's like those people who know the king of this kingdom that they've seen signs for are going to say, "Hey, let's go to the mountain of the Lord. It's time." To beat our swords into plowshares. I want us to, to sing that prophetic word. And so through the beauty of YouTube, I'd like us to stand and sing, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Come, let us go up To the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. Let us go up to the mountain of the Lord and to the house of the God of Jacob. And the law will go forth from Zion and the word From mighty nations far and wide, swords will be beaten into plowshares, and nations will not. so, so far from that day when swords are beaten into plowshares, would you make us those people who accelerate this coming, who bring foretastes of it, signs that this is real, that it will happen, that you are the king, that you are the prince of peace, and we ask specifically that you make Jerusalem a city of peace, make Kiev a city of peace. Lord, bring your glory and this idea, this reality of a kingdom where nations learn never to war again, make us agents of that kingdom here on earth until your coming, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you for indulging a little not quite expositional style teaching, but I figured, you know, if Jesus didn't use the expositional method and basically just told stories, it must be okay. So um, a few announcements. So next Sunday, Easter Sunday, we're going to do a feast here. And so you can sign up to bring something. You've got an RSVP, so we know roughly how many people will come. Of course, you always make more. Or those that just show up we want Easter to be like that too so but those who know you're coming it'd be great to bring something and uh, Jeff and others will be sending a sign up around and then Wednesday there is a family meeting here and so we'll we'll talk from seven to eight about the various things that need to happen in the coming months and then we'll pray From eight to nine because look around you this is now a prayer room and those who can hang out for a little bit afterwards just to do a little final touches on the prayer room the doors are open this week holy week for people to come and uh the the garden of gethsemane it's a garden theme for the three prayer rooms in the city we are one of them i believe um City Church is one, and the YWAM base on the north side is one, but we get to host another prayer room, probably the last one that we'll do here in this space. So if you can hang out and then come here throughout the week and enjoy the sort of beautiful labor of love that intercession is. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.